0: Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. In this recording from 2016, the Tennessee Senate debates the Convention of States resolution. Tennessee voted to become the fifth state to adopt our Article 5 application.
1: Speaker and members of the Senate, I made this statement in committee when I presented this bill, and I firmly believe it, or this resolution. I firmly believe that this is the most important resolution we'll be voting on this year. I would like to start out by reading Article 5 of the United States Constitution. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or, or, now this is the key word, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of several states, shall call a convention for, the, for proposing amendments, which in either which in either case shall be valid to all in, shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the, by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress, provided that no amendment which may may be made prior to the year 1808 shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article, and that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. Senate Joint Resolution 67 is an application to Congress to call for a convention of states, This last year, we passed a resolution calling for a convention of states limited to a balanced federal budget. I believe it's important to apply to Congress for this broader call because the problems that need to be addressed are not limited just to the budget. This call is limited to proposing amendments to the United States Constitution that first impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. The fiscal irresponsibility that's led to an almost $18 trillion debt is bipartisan. Both parties are to blame. Let's just look at the last four administrations. Under George H.W. Bush, our debt increased by 52%. Under President Clinton, our debt increased by 37%. Under George W. Bush, our debt increased by 86%. And during the first four years of President Obama, our debt has increased 45%. The second area... That the call would be limited to is to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Earlier this year, Senator Norris brought legislation urging Congress to propose a constitutional amendment relative to the regulatory authority of the executive branch. During discussions on that legislation, we talked about the federal government's regulating school bake sales, the rules being placed, the new rules being placed on higher education and the new oppressive EPA water and air rules. The third area that the call would be limited to is to limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. Our framers envisioned a citizen legislature, which we had for the most part until the 1950s. With the growth in the size and scope of the federal government and the power and influence with becoming a full-time politician, it is time that we at least look at putting term limits in place. Now, I want to repeat the three areas again that the call would be limited to, to impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and to limit the terms of office for its officials and for members. Three states have already passed the language we are considering today, Florida, Georgia, and Alaska. Thirty-one states have introduced this language and are considering it this year. Now, let me clear up some misinformation that many of you received the last few days in emails about the progress of this resolution in other states. You've been told that all other states have rejected this resolution. It is true that in a few states, the Convention of States resolution has been narrowly defeated, but it's still alive and being considered in 20 states. In those 20 states, it has passed one house or the other in five of those states, and it's passed committees and is still moving in six of those states. Former U.S. Senator, from Oklahoma, Tom Coburn, recently wrote an article for the Washington Times. He stated in that article, throughout my time in Washington, it was my goal to constrain the scope and the size of our federal government to that which our founders intended. There were successes along the way, of course, but the federal behemoth continues to grow almost unabated year after year, election cycle after election cycle. The reason for this is surprisingly simple. It's human nature to attempt to collect as much power and control as possible, and in few places is that more evident than Washington, D.C. Our national soul is being corrupted by Washington's unhindered and unconstitutional overreach. Our founders anticipated the federal government might get out of control at some point, and they gave us a constitutional mechanism to rein it in. It's called a convention of states outlined in Article 5 of the Constitution. I'm sure that you've received the emails from people that are worried about the process. Concerns that have been raised that a call like this could lead to a runaway convention that would completely destroy our federal constitution. Let me assure you that such concerns are unfounded. First of all, Leader Norris passed a bill last year that that became public chapter 979. This faithful delegate legislation, which other states have also passed, puts restraints on anyone that represents Tennessee at an article five convention. Secondly, Proposed constitutional amendments must pass an extremely high bar before they become part of our Constitution. First, 34 states have to issue an identical call calling for a convention. Second, at a convention of states, a proposed amendment would then have to have 34 states approve the proposal before sending it to the states for ratification. Third, and finally, 38 states would have to ratify the amendment before it would become part of the Constitution. In the 50 states, there are 99 individual state legislative bodies. That means only 13 of the 99 could reject or stop any amendment to the federal Constitution. By far the most important safeguard that our founders built into this process. Mr. Speaker, that's an explanation of Senate Joint Resolution 67. And I yield to members for questions.
2: 67, Senator Bales moved adoption. It has been seconded. Senator Green, you're recognized.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Would the uh, sponsor yield? Yields. Ladies and gentlemen of the Senate, I I rise in support of this resolution. I'm uh, very fearful for our country. Uh, If you look at our current debt situation, By 2061, the entire revenue of the federal government will be consumed by only three items, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, as they stand right now. That means in my son's lifetime, the entire budget of the federal government will go after those three items. We have got to rein in spending. Most economists believe that once the debt-to-GDP ratio, or the interest payments, is 250% that the economy basically becomes unfunctionable, you know, it can't function. And for the United States, that actually is going to happen in the 2050s, again, in the lifetime of my child. Right now, the CBO says the country will get to a point where its interest payments won't allow it to function. The two parties have shown themselves to be unable to reach any agreements. Even the sequestration, which was supposed to be this great solution, has failed. And now with cuts to the military that are going to take the United States military to force levels below where it was before 9-11, meaning our U.S. government's military cannot defend two locations – On the globe simultaneously and they're making those cuts this summer because we can't afford it it's incompetence I go and support this as the last hope the last possibility that we can rein in this gluttonous spending at the federal level and hopefully save this country and I ask that you support this resolution and the sponsor. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. With the sponsor, yield? Yields. Senator Bell, would you, you know, we all hear from our tea party and our, and our ultra right wing friends. And they say, oh, you can't do this. The Eagle forms against it. The John Birch society against it, which I remind you started north of the Mason Dixon line, but could, could you explain to our tea party friends, the difference in a convention of the states and a constitutional convention a lot of people confuse the two and i think there's a difference could you explain it Bell?
1: thank you mr thank you mr speaker and mr speaker i would i would just go back to article 5 in the us constitution and what it says about uh, that uh, when the criteria is met in other words when an application of the legislatures of two-thirds of several states shall call for a convention for proposing amendments. And that's what we're talking about. It's not a constitutional convention to change the Constitution, but a convention to propose amendments, just like we've done 27 times through the other method that uh, our founders gave us. We've amended our Constitution safely 27 times. This is a way our founders gave us to amend the Constitution, but the states have never exercised this power. And I'd say it's time we we exercise that power that our founders gave us to propose amendments.
4: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I rise in support of SJR 67. Senator Bell is correct in his statements. He has articulated it very well. Our founders did give us two options. One option uh, to... Take care of this issue is by amendment. Two-thirds of each House of Congress agrees to propose a particular amendment to the Constitution. We all know, standing here today, they're not going to do that, right? So the only other option that we have is through a convention of states. The founders knew that the federal government might one day become drunk with power. The most important check to this power is this Article 5, which gives us the authority to hold a convention for the purpose of these amendments. By calling a convention of states, we can stop this federal spending. The debt spree, the power grabs of the federal courts, and the misuse of federal power. The current situation is precisely what the founders feared, and they gave us that solution, and a duty to use it. Congress has no authority to stop such a process, and they made sure of that by giving us Article 5. Ladies and gentlemen, on the floor today, we're we're approaching, this country is approaching a crossroads. We are there at that crossroads today. I firmly, firmly believe that. And if you're not feeling it yourself, you're not awake. One path leads us to an escalating power of irresponsible, centralized government in Washington, ultimately resulting in the financial ruin of generations to come for this country. The other path leads to the restoration of liberty and an American renaissance for our future. I ask you today, before you vote, which way do you choose? Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I just want to expand too on on the inability, really, to put any faith in the the, the system—not not necessarily the people, but the system that we have in Washington D.C. right now. I mean, you, we there were several states that tried to do this earlier. Remember Graham Rudman? I mean, Graham Rudman was supposed to fix the problem. Well, it didn't. It failed. Again, states start circulating this uh, Constitutional Convention or Convention of States, uh, to use the correct term, and then you start seeing things like sequestration. And now that's failed. I mean, I, I I don't think we need to pitch the ball out for a strike three. I think I think we need to move and make this happen. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, will the sponsor yield? Uh, I I appreciate this, that it will address the runaway crazy spending that's taking place in Washington, D.C. I once, in a public meeting, accused them of spending money like drunken sailors, and I was uh, approached by a former sailor after the meeting, and he assured me that was an insult, that the sailors only spent what they had in their pocket. And so they are much worse than drunken sailors, for sure. Thank you, sir.
2: Senator
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker and members. Uh, for the last several years at the Council of State Governments, uh, we have been focusing on federalism. It's a task force that I had put together where we endeavor to keep track of the various efforts that are being made to address the concerns raised here today. And I support Senator Bell's initiative. I support Senate Joint Resolution 67. It is one, as he has alluded to, of several important initiatives. We're not sure, ultimately, which resolution will prevail. But what I've come to appreciate over the last several years working with the Council of State Governments is this. The situation we have with Congress is just like the frog in the proverbial pot. The frog in the pot of water. You can throw them into a boiling pot and they jump right out, but if you turn up the heat slowly enough, you'll cook them. And in a sense, what we're doing with a number of these initiatives all together is turning up the heat. We have our regulation freedom initiative that you all supported, and I appreciate earlier this year We've had the balanced budget amendment resolution go out. These things are all working their ways through the various states, just like this. I think anything and everything we can do within reason to turn up the heat on those folks in Congress is the least we can do as states to step up and do our duty. I'm satisfied that our legislation, the Delegate Faithfulness Act of 2014, will impose sufficient reins on future delegates should this, should this resolution be the one that crosses the finish line and be the one that, that calls for that convention. I appreciate Senator Bell's initiative I appreciate his ongoing efforts and uh, we will pledge to join with you in those efforts to do what states must do to step up and exercise our constitutional rights, indeed our constitutional responsibility to save this country. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
2: Stevens and Senator Kyle, Senator Stevens, you're recognized.
5: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I rise just to make three quick points. The first uh, the first is uh, I, Senator Massey and I were mem- were. Toll fellows through the through the um, council of state governments, and we had to do a project, and we were broken down by region, and each region came up with their own project that addressed their region. So this is bipartisan. This is all branches of government. Every region had the same basic complaint: is that they could not fix their own problems because the federal government was interfering in the state's ability to do so. Uh, in the south, we focused on transportation dollars. In the west, they focused on water rights. In the northeast, they focused on energy and, and protection of the environment. The uniform thing between, uh, among all of those 50 states represented was that they each state was unable to fix their own problems because the federal government had already fixed it for us. The second point I wanted to make was uh, Justice Antonin Scalia was at the University of Memphis Law School several years ago, and he and I asked him about this, and his response was uh, interesting. He said that the federal government would never voluntarily relinquish its power. The third point I wanna make, And you can share this with kids that come through in your office, and I do, just to illustrate what a trillion dollars is. And I've kind of given this speech before, but I'll shorten it. A million dollars, if you stack a thousand dollar bills together on top of each other, a million dollars is four inches high, a billion dollars is 364 feet high, and a trillion dollars of $1,000 bills on top of each other is 63 miles high. If you count seconds going backwards, a trillion seconds takes you back to 30,000 BC. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
6: Mr. Speaker, I just rise, first of all, to say that I have great respect for my colleagues here in the Senate that have talked, but If um, I may just comment back on some of the remarks made by my colleague in Shelby County, I do do agree with them that states must do what states should do. And one thing we could do is rethink the vote we took on uh, the tax to um, um, the hospital tax, to get money from the federal government and we could rethink not accepting any more federal money if we are serious about this proposal and about the comments that have just been stated previously. And uh, I would move that amendment forward then to, um, to ask that we not receive any more federal money. Thank you.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. Senator Kyle, that's that you have every right to do that, but it has to be done in written form. We don't do voice amendments on the floor. So if you want to have that amendment, it'll take two-thirds because it's not timely filed, of course. But you have the right to do that if you want to, but it had to be written and, and turned into the we don't do unwritten amendments on the floor. So the call you recognize.
6: Yes, sir. And thank you, Mr. Speaker. But I did want to note that their comments and actions should we we should line them up. And so if we vote this morning to get a, a tax in order to get funds for hospitals, and uh, then we uh, certainly should follow in on I think our leader. Majority leader has proposed that states must do what states must do in order to be part of a process that uh, has been stated by uh, Senator Bell. But uh, I would just like to add those comments to make an equal balance between this proposition. Thank you. Senator
2: Senator Harris had him, Rick. Your name was, well, no, it wasn't either. It said you're my colleague, Shelby. If, you, if he'll yield to you, Senator Norris, then Senator Harris, Senator Norris.
0: Oh, no, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the kind ladies, uh, remarks. We have, I don't know, over 40%, 43% perhaps of our, of our state budget. God willing, we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> that budget I keep talking about is derived from, from federal dollars and, uh, I think the Sears Crosstown legislation she covets is largely funded by SAME. Uh, there's no shortage of hypocrisy in the General Assembly. I'll acknowledge that. But <laughs> it takes time. It's gonna take time. It'll take time to to write this particular ship of state. And uh, it's fair 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 topic for discussion to, to bring that up. I appreciate the focus on it. All I can say is thank goodness we didn't intake another billion dollars under whatever that was that was considered earlier this year. Thank you.
2: Senator Kyle. Senator Kyle, then Senator Harris, if you don't mind, Senator
6: Harris. I just wanted to point out what I did earlier, and I want to thank my leader, my colleague from Memphis, and of course, I am for uh, receiving those federal monies whether it be Insure Tennessee or this tax for hospitals. or But I just think if uh, we are going to accept these monies and, and then introduce legislation that seems contrary to what we're trying to accomplish, it's worth, um, it's worth thinking and bringing to the attention of all of us. And I just wanted my comments on the record as well. Thank you.
7: Senator Harris. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate. I think that this has been a, a good debate. Uh, a great exchange and I think that from this debate it's clear to me that the votes will fall where they where they fall but I think both sides of the aisle are for responsible spending uh, and for a citizen purposed legislature and so I, I guess if the sponsor will yield for a question I'll make a, I'll make a question and take my seat yield. so in light of the fact that both sides of the aisle here today wherever the votes fall they fall are, are for responsible fa- spending and are for a citizen legislature, will you support moving in that direction in the state of Tennessee? Uh, Because in the state of Tennessee, we actually have the power to move in that direction ourselves. It's in our hands. So, for example, as far as I know, there is no term limits on senators or members of the House in the state of Tennessee. And if we're truly going to be serious about getting things in order, we should start at home and make sure that we have a citizen purpose legislature here and then we can also tell Congress that they should also get their affairs in order and so I I have always tried to stand for the people and I know the Senator, Senator Bell likewise stands with the people and so my question is will he stand with me? And make sure that we do what we can to eliminate wasteful spending in this budget that we will consider very shortly and ultimately have a citizen-driven legislature in the state of Tennessee. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and Mr. Speaker, I, I would uh, start out by saying, looking around this room, I see a number of different occupations represented in this room. I would say we already have a citizen legislature. I, I have a Dr next to me, an attorney next to him, a retired m- military person next to, next to them, businessmen, um, uh, insurance agents, uh, own, small businessmen, own a trucking company, pharmacy, uh, pharmacy CPA, I, I'm going to go home and start pressure washing houses and cleaning windows on houses next week. That's what I do for a living. I don't, I don't think you can get much more, I tell people back home, um, when, they, when they see me, climbing on the side of their house, cleaning windows, and pressure washing their house, they say, I can't believe my senator's out here cleaning my house. And I'll say, uh, well, that's the type of legislature you have in Tennessee. People who go to Nashville, do their work, and go back home. That's no longer what we have in Washington, D.C. And that's what our founders intended for us to have, and it's not what we have any anymore. And that's, why, that's where I'm going to draw a difference uh, between what needs to happen in D.C., and maybe what needs to happen here in Tennessee. And you can look around at our two different bodies in the House and the Senate, and you can see we've had a major turnover in the last six to ten years. We don't need term limits here because our citizens keep turning us over <laughs> in Tennessee. And that's that's what has happened time after time again. Senator Tracy?
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I move previous question. Without objection? The objection question is put, Senator Bell, you may close on SJR
1: 6-7. Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, I appreciate the discussion. I appreciate the debate. And in closing, Mr. Speaker, let me now read an account of the 1787 Constitutional Convention. After some debate, Madison, that's James Madison, removed reference to the convention amendment process given the national legislature sole authority to propose amendments whenever it thought necessary or when two-thirds of the states applied to the national legislature. Several delegates voiced opposition to the idea of the national legislature retaining sole power to propose constitutional amendments. George Mason argued from the floor of the convention that it, and i quote here, would be improper to require the consent of the national legislature because they may abuse their power and refuse the consent on that very account. Mason added, and I quote, no amendments of the proper kind would ever be obtained by the people if the government should become oppressive. In response to these concerns, the convention unanimously voted to add language allowing the states to apply to Congress for a convention to propose amendments to the Constitution. Ladies and gentlemen of the Senate, our federal government is out of control. Our debt is 18 trillion and growing. We are inundated with new and oppressive regulations constantly. Today, if we adopt SJR 67, we will be saying it's time for the states, and specifically Tennessee, to utilize a tool our founders gave us to rein in an out of control federal government. A tool that's been available and within our reach, but it's been ignored and neglected for 228 years. Ladies and gentlemen of the Senate, it's time for, the, for Tennessee to grasp the Article 5 tool, the tool our founders unanimously adopted in 1787 to combat the Leviathan that our federal government has become. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
2: Thank you. It has been a great debate. The question has been put. Senator, Senator Bale has closed. We're on the board. Those in favor of vote, I want to bell rings, those opposed to vote, no. So every member voted, Mr. Clerk, take the vote. Ayes, uh, 23, 5 nays.
0: Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.